0: Hello and welcome to Abemus Papam, episode 247, Clement XIV. Dear brothers and sisters, Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio, vobis. annuncio vobis Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Abemus Papam. So last week was one of the biggest papal cliffhangers of this entire podcast. The states of Europe were one by one expelling the Jesuits, and the various European powers were putting intense and unrelenting pressure on Pope Clement XIII to suppress the Jesuits entirely. The Pope decided to call a consistory to discuss what was to be done and how the Jesuits could be saved, but the night before, February 2nd, 1769, after asking for an outpouring of prayers and for enlightenment, the Pope died. And now, into this mess, the Cardinals needed to elect a successor. Now, you better believe that there was even more pressure being put on the conclave by various European states. Even, you know, the Holy Roman Emperor Joseph II, who happened to be in Rome at this time and who was normally neutral, made a visit to the conclave himself, and he told the cardinals to just elect another Pope Benedict XIV, who was everyone's friends. All the cardinals from the countries who had expelled the Jesuits pushed for someone who would overturn Clement XIII's policies. And after three months, the conclave settled on Cardinal Lorenzo Gagnali who had disagreed with Clement XIII toward the end of his papacy. And as some historians suggest, he may have made a verbal or written promise to the Spanish cardinals who had kind of organized his election that he would indeed suppress the Jesuits. But that's not quite clear. He was elected on May 19th, 1769, taking the name of Clement XIV in honor of his predecessor who had named him a cardinal, and he was ordained a bishop on May 28th. But before we talk about the rest of his papacy and follow this storyline with the Jesuits, we've got to go back to his origins. Pope Clement XIV was born Giovanni Vincenzo Gagnale on October 31st, 1705 in Romagna. His father was a doctor and the family was solidly middle class. In May of 1724, Giovanni joined the Franciscans and took the religious name, Brother Lorenzo. He went through the standard theological track of studies for the Franciscans. He was at some point ordained a priest and eventually, he was sent to teach philosophy and theology in Bologna and Milan. He came back to Rome in 1740, and he held a number of higher-up positions in the Franciscans and in the Roman Curia, living in the convent attached to the Dodici Apostoli Basilica in the center of Rome. Now, while in Rome, he worked for the Congregation of the Holy Office, which is today's Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith, and he worked on reports that led to the condemnation of the works of Voltaire and other Enlightenment philosophers. Now, particularly interesting was a report he did on a study of the belief that Jewish people had regularly kidnapped and murdered Christian children. And those stories, those rumors, flew around and they incited Christian violence and violent and vicious pogroms. And especially at this time, there was a violent pogrom going on in Poland that was based on this kind of anti-Semitic prejudice. Father Lorenzo's report stated that this was really all prejudice without any real fact. And his report was approved by the Pope and efforts were made to try and stop the pogrom in in Poland, but it wasn't very successful. He was named a cardinal on September 24th, 1759, by Pope Clement XIII. Now, supposedly, I've only seen this in one source, but supposedly, one of the reasons for his being named a cardinal was the insistence of Father Ricci, who was the superior general of the Jesuits, and who apparently was a big supporter of Father Lorenzo. But, he stayed neutral publicly on the question of the Jesuits himself, at least at the beginning of his cardinalate, and he distanced himself from some of the bigger supporters of the Pope. So by the time the Pope died, when a compromise candidate was being looked for who might bend to the will of the European powers, Cardinal Gagnoli was in a prime position to be their choice. Now, despite the pressure to condemn the Jesuit, the new Pope, Clement 14th didn't automatically acquiesce. He seemed to be more of the mind that he just didn't want any drama. He wanted to kind of go back to the style of Pope Benedict the Fourteenth, And couldn't everyone just get along? Couldn't we just have peace? In fact, his motto at his coordination as Pope was, Fiat Pax in Virtute Tua, let peace be your strength. But unfortunately, he wouldn't have any. In 1770, the pressure began anew. And Spain, France, and Naples again sent letters demanding the suppression of the Jesuits and demanding that it happen within two months. The Pope hesitated, and he ordered a visitation of the Roman college, which was run by the Jesuits and he instituted some other minor penalties to try and buy some time but it wasn't enough. Spain was leading the charge they were gaining the rest of the European nations like Prussia and the Austrian Holy Roman Empire to at least declare that they'd be neutral on it not to be pro-Jesuit. In Austria especially they had been fairly pro-Jesuit but tide turned and they agreed to be neutral in the conflict. The pressure continued to build. The Pope countered with a proposal to just reform the Jesuits it seemed to be his kind of strategy. But the Spanish were insistent they had to be suppressed completely, and the Pope gave in. On July 21st, 1773, Pope Clement XIV signed the now infamous bull Dominus Acredemptor Noster, which was published at the Church of the Jesu, the headquarters of the Jesuits. The bull noted that in order to preserve peace, and because the Jesuits weren't now what they used to be, the Pope had decided to completely suppress the order. He writes, quote, Helped as we trust by the presence and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we are compelled by the necessity of our duty to maintain, foster, and strengthen the peace and quiet of the Christian state. As far as our strength allows, we are strictly held to completely removing from the church's midst everything that could be detrimental to it, even the slightest thing. Further, we have noticed that the society of Jesus is no longer able to produce the very rich fruits and usefulness for which it was founded and approved and enhanced with so many privileges by our predecessors." Indeed, it happens that scarcely or not at all can the true and lasting peace of the church be restored as long as the society is intact. Accordingly, we are moved by these very grieved reasons and are pressed by other considerations that the laws of prudence and the best government of the universal church impose upon us, which we keep stored deeply in our mind, We follow in the footsteps of our predecessors, especially Gregory X and the General Council of Lyons. Now there is question of the society, of its institute, and of its privileges, which assimilate it to the mendicant orders. He suppressed it completely. Father Ricci, the superior of the Jesuits, was arrested and put in the Castle San Angelo with other leaders of the Jesuit order, which if he did push for Pope Clement XIV being named a cardinal, this was a pretty bitter pill. They awaited trial there for two years, and during that time, Father Ricci died. The Jesuits were suppressed everywhere except for Russia and Prussia, which were two non-Catholic countries who refused to acknowledge the Pope's authority. The Pope himself was worn out. He had lost lost a lot of weight. It was possible that he was suffering from cancer. He was completely done in by the stress surrounding the suppression. And he died September 22nd, 1774. He was buried in St. Peter's, but eventually his grave was transferred to his home Basilica of Dodici Apostoli, where it remains to this day. He was succeeded by Pope Pius VI, and we will talk about him next week. Thank you for listening to Abemus Papam. You can find the rest of the Catholic Link podcast at catholiclink.org or Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you, and God bless you.